Thanks for tuning in to the Sojourn Church Podcast. We are a church committed to the gospel in the context of family, living on mission to the city of Portland and our world. For more information, visit our website, sojournpdx.org. Very cool. Well, hey, uh, glad to be here this morning. I'm Nate Jordan. Uh, uh, I'm here with a team, like he said, from Beaumont's First Baptist Church in Beaumont, Texas. Uh, if you can envision Texas in your mind, the bottom right corner uh, near Louisiana, that's where we live. And uh, Or if you've ever watched the news and see where all the hurricanes go, that's where we are. Uh, and so there's actually one in the Gulf now that people are worried about. And so uh, probably going to miss us, but uh, it's part of, the, part of life there. Uh, and so we're thrilled to be here. I've known Matt and Andrea now for almost five years, and uh, we've got to uh, see um, a lot. We came when the first time we came here, there was no church building gathering. There wasn't even a gathering yet, really. Uh, and uh, to see what God's done through uh, through the faithfulness of their family, but also through the faithfulness of some of you uh, that have, have, have that God has called here, and uh, that is just so encouraging to us. Uh, and um, we're going to talk today about the unity that, that Andrea prayed about, the unity of the Holy Spirit, the unity of the church, uh, as well as um, way to, a way to look at suffering. And uh, I, I've preached last year on jo- through Jonah, uh, which was also how to deal with suffering a little bit. And so uh, there's a theme there that uh, unfortunately, or fortunately really, I've had to learn in my life as well. Uh, and one of, the, one of the things that I've learned, uh, and I want to say to you, is that the Christian worldview, uh, in God's Word, is one of the only worldviews that actually has a plan and a use for suffering. Most of our world has no use for suffering. And so you see our culture try to avoid any suffering at all, as, and, and uh, they'll do a lot of things to do that. Uh, any aging, any... Uh, we were talking about people having plastic surgeries today. It's like getting older. People want to avoid that as much as they can. Uh, because most of the worldview and the way, way people see the world, they have, there's no use for suffering. The Bible is not that way. In the way of Jesus, there is a plan for suffering. Uh, and we'll talk about that. Uh, but I want to read for you First uh, Peter chapter 3 and verse 8. Uh, if you've got your Bibles or your smartphones and you want to... Uh, you want to jump to that? Uh, we're not against smartphones. We uh, I always I'm a youth pastor, so I tell the students if I see you playing games, I may come over there and drop kick you or something. But uh, but uh, they know I'm joking. I haven't done it yet, uh, but you never know. One of these days. Uh, I've been a youth pastor almost full time for almost 13 years now, uh, and I'm old enough now that my own child is in my student ministry. So uh, it's kind of cool and, and different, uh, but but it's a season of life, and so. 1 Peter chapter 3, this book, as you know, is written by the, the Apostle Peter, one of Jesus' uh, closest disciples. Jesus had his 12 disciples, and then he had his three disciples that were those who he let have some extra experiences, and he spent more time with, Peter, James, and John, fishermen. Uh, his name was Simon, uh, and Jesus changed his name to Peter, which means rock. Uh, and he says, uh, he says to him, uh, Peter confesses Christ, Matthew chapter 16, what's called the great confession. He says that you are the, the, the Christ, the son of the living God. And he says, on that confession, I will build my church. Because you made that confession, I'm changing your name to Peter. Right? And so, uh, and that's the thing the church built, is built on, is the confession that Jesus Christ is Lord, that he is the only way for salvation, uh, and that, that, man, he's the way, the truth, and the life. 
And that's the same here in Portland, Oregon, as it is in Beaumont, Texas, or uh, in Ukraine. We have some friends who were missionaries in Ukraine who had to evacuate, or uh, one of our students is in Czech Republic this year. Wherever our feet are landed, the same truth is true. That Jesus is Lord, and he's the way, the truth, and the life. And so uh, keep that in mind as we read. So verse 8 says this. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, uh, bless for, uh, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. And then he's going to quote here from the passage that Andrea read, Psalm 34. He's quoting uh, a scripture that they would have known and would have memorized. It says this, Whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. What comfort uh, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, here's the, here's the understanding, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. Instead, put in your heart, but in your hearts, honor Christ as Lord, as holy. Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do so with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience so that even when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. I think in our world there is a lot of uh, idea that people fit into a stereotype or into a mold. Uh, if we were to give a, a title of a, uh, like a, a generational title, like if we say things like boomers, we get a mindset of what that might mean. Or we, we get it, if we said, hey, Generation Z, we'd think of, okay, that's what this is. Or millennials. We see a lot of that in our culture, especially on social media. Or maybe it's like uh, personality tests. Hey, I'm a seven. I'm a three. You know? And so you kind of get a generalization of what a person is. I think the same thing happens when we say, oh, I'm a follower of Jesus. Or I'm a Christian. We might get this idea that, hey, there's a certain mold that you have to fit into by the things you wear or the way that, you know, the house you live in or the culture you're a part of or the party that you vote for, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, right? That all those things kind of, you naturally have to check that box. And if I've learned anything over the years, especially by going and doing missions and being, uh, going outside of our own culture, is that being a follower of Jesus, yes, there is a box that, that, that means that you go into, but that's the box that Jesus has set for us and not the box of our immediate culture. Right? And so, yes, there is a way that seems right to man and it leads to death, but there's a way that Jesus has set before us. And it is not always exactly the same in, this, in, in a different context. Beaumont, Texas and Portland, Oregon really couldn't be any, any more different. If you were to come visit us, you would see that. Uh, we have no hills. Uh, we do have a lot of green because it rains a lot, but our rain is a lot different. You guys get rain like 60 days in a row or whatever. We get a rainstorm about once a month that drops about four or five inches at a time, right? So we're in a different culture, but you, you, you can kind of see 
uh, the way people live. No one walks anywhere in Beaumont, Texas, because we are all very spread out. That's how Texas is, right? Everything's bigger. And so uh, it's, no, it's no thing to drive 20 to 30 minutes to go to a school, uh, to drive 20 or 30 minutes to go to worship, to go to your job, right? So it's just a, it is a different culture. Obviously, um, the politics are different there, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yet, when we walk in the door here, at Sojourn with our friends and our brothers and sisters, some we just met yesterday, some we met today, there's a unity that comes from being a follower of Jesus. And I've experienced the same thing. Uh, I've gone to Mexico several times on missions and working there, and I mean, I didn't understand a word the pastor was saying. I learned the church words in Spanish uh, because I would go on mission trips a lot in the cuss words. When I was a school, when I was a school teacher, I learned the cuss words in Spanish from the students. Uh, and so... I would bust them like the first week of school cussing in Spanish, and they thought I knew Spanish, so that was good enough like, for the year. Um, but there's a unity that comes from the Holy Spirit of God that is cross-cultural. And it doesn't matter what your, your, your socioeconomic, what, what ethnicity you are, right, what language you speak, that when you're in the presence of brothers and sisters in Christ, there's a unity there. And it is something, I'm going to be honest with you, that the world desires the world wants this, and they try to get it in different ways. Uh, and it's a great desire to have unity, right? We would all agree that. That is something we should desire, that unity equals peace. And I'm going to tell you that the church is probably the greatest place to find that. And it's sad that sometimes it's the place we find at least. Uh, we could say that. Uh, that. That a lot of times the places of worship are the least segregated places ever. Uh, and, and, and it's just a, a point that we're in a fallen world. We don't live in a perfect place, in a perfect society. And the, the idea of this unity that Paul speaks of here, it's not that we would all be uniformly the same. It's that from our diversity, God has created unity. And I think that's the beautiful thing that, 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 that only really God can do, is to take something so diverse as humanity and to make something so unified as his bride. As the church, and that's a great thing, man. I was I got emotional sitting here worshiping earlier because um, just I know what it's the journey of this faith family has been, right? Uh, and to see the the fruit that 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 God is producing here, it it I was in I mean it was I was emotional. Uh, I had tears in my eyes because uh, it's. It's beautiful. I see these things. Unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love. There is a community in this faith family, right, that's sweet, a tender heart, to hurt with those who hurt, and a humbled mind. That's our starting point. That's who our Savior was. He cared for others. He was gentle and lowly, the Bible says. All right, let's read on. Verse 9 it says this, Do not repay evil for evil, but instead, or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. Jesus speaks a lot about this. This idea of turning the other cheek. The idea of praying for those who persecute you. The Apostle Paul writes extensively about this, and as well as Peter. There's a quote that I've read that initially was... Uh, by an Anglican named Thomas Brooks, and then uh, lately I saw it on the Instagram of Nicky Gumbel, who's a pastor in, in England as well. He says this, that to return evil for good is demonic. To return good for good is human. 
but to return good for evil is the way of Jesus. I'll say it again because that's a lot of words there. To return evil for good is demonic. Meaning if someone is doing good for you and you slap them in the face for it and you throw it in their face, that's the way of the enemy. To shame those who are doing good. To return good for good is human. Most people would do that. Right? If the person is nice to me, I'll be nice to them. Right? That's, that's the basic uh, way that humans are. Um, but here's a different way. To return good for evil. To even someone who's persecuted you, to provide love to them. To forgive a person even when they haven't asked for your forgiveness. That's the way of Jesus. Because that's exactly what he did. He came and he gave good gifts and he taught good messages and he healed and he proclaimed the truth of the kingdom of God. And what did humanity do? They rejected him. They put him on a cross and even, uh, even his, own, his own followers rejected him. They gave him evil for good. But he, he returned good for evil. That's the way of Jesus. And that's a challenge. I love what Ben said, that, that Jesus has given us the power in our life to produce righteousness. It's not something we can do on our own. It is a gift. It's imputed to us from God, meaning that it's only through God into our lives that it's possible. I love that. And good and evil is a real thing, y'all. Our culture may not want to say that a lot. We want to define good by our opinion. Uh, and we don't really want to call anything evil or very few things evil. But if we are followers of Jesus and we believe this gospel message, then we believe, man, there has to be evil in this world. Why else would Christ come? That there is a there is a hero and there is an enemy. That's why we love Marvel films, right? Maybe you don't. Uh, and in Southeast Texas, we love Marvel movies. That's why we love hero stories. Because there's always a battle, a struggle between good and evil. That's why we love a Harry Potter. That's why we love Disney movies. Every Disney movie has a villain. There's a whole category of the Disney villains. There's always a good guy. There's always a bad guy or good girl or bad girl, right? And so there's this understanding innately in our human nature. We understand this battle between good and evil. And we want to see good win. We watch a film because we want to see good win. Right? That's why we do that. And so the Bible's really clear on that. That those who do good, and God has defined good by himself, right? He said God, God is good. The things of this world is good. When he created in the six days of creation, at the end of each day, what were his words? It was good. God has defined what is good. The things he has made are good. And human sin is evil, right? It's just, it's just laid out there. There's a way, and it may seem uh, a little old-fashioned or archaic to some, but it's not. That the way of Jesus is choosing good, and it's denying evil. I, I, want, I, am, I am following Jesus, and I am setting aside the ways of myself and the ways of the world. All right? And when I say the world, I mean the culture, not the people. Not the ideas, but the way that we have created and the way that we, that we interact with those ideas are fleshed out sometimes. Right? That's what we're talking about here. To live the way of Jesus. To be an apprentice. I've heard it said, an apprentice. Anybody in here ever been an apprentice? Anybody have a trade? Maybe they were a plumber or an electrician. One of my good friends is an electrician back home, and he had to sit under a master electrician and learn the ways of an electrician because... He doesn't want to die. Uh, electricity's deadly, right? He doesn't want to burn someone's house down, right? So he has to learn the ways to handle this, right? And so we're to be apprentices 
of Jesus, to learn to live the way of Jesus, to learn to love the way that he loves. All right, verse 10. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to the prayers, to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. It's set aside here. There's good and evil. To tell the truth, even when it hurts. Desires to love life, let him keep his tongue from evil and his words, uh, mouth from words of deceit. What we say matters. It's not all that matters. How we live matters. But what we say matters. Our words can be used as a tool to build up, or they can be used as a method of, of tearing down. Uh, the, what we say, especially to those who we have influence over, parents, the words you say to your child, they will own. It will become their identity. There's no way around it. God has made the parent and child relationship that way. A parent's words, especially a father's words over a child, they hold so much weight. If I tell my child that they're smart and they're beautiful and they're talented, guess what? They're probably going to believe it. Right? And if I tell my child they're wicked and they're bad, they're probably going to believe that as well. Our words matter so much. Husbands and wives, our words matter. The way that we speak not only to our spouse but about our spouse really matters. Really matters. Let our words be used for building up. We were in the park yesterday, uh, the uh, Peninsula Park, and we went out pouring down rain at times. Uh, and that's what I love about Portland. It was pouring down rain, and people were still hanging out. Uh, and so, uh, yeah, yeah, there was ha there was a quinceanera photo shoot right in the Peninsula Park in the pouring rain. It was like it was amazing. Uh, and so, uh, we were talking uh, to a lady uh, and just sharing this truth with her, sharing the truth of the gospel. And we weren't rude, and she wasn't rude, and it was a it was a chance for us to use our words for building up, uh, and, and it was it was a, a great time. Let him turn away, verse evil, uh, verse eleven. Excuse me. Let him turn away from evil and do good. I heard it said a friend of mine, Mike Taylor, said one time to me that we're saved from something, as if we're a follower of Jesus, but we're saved for something also. We're saved from our sin, from death. We're brought to life, but we're saved to go and do good deeds, to speak good words, to do ministry, to make disciples. That's a language we use a lot in our faith family. We want to make disciples. Mom and dad, your main job is to make disciples in your home. That's, the, that's one of the purposes of marriage and purposes of family, is for you to pass that on to your children, to make disciples at home, but not just there. Right? It's in our, in our workplaces and the people in our neighbors, those who come across us. Uh, those who cross our path, we're to make disciples of them, to train them to follow Jesus and to train them to make disciples. That's why I bring teenagers here. A lot of parents, uh, I'll be honest, the news media is not kind to Portland, uh, in Texas anyway. I hope you, I know you all probably already know that. And every time when I, I say, hey, we're going to take a group to, to Portland, parents will say, okay, now tell me about Portland. Now, this, is this safe? I'm like, yeah, the people there are awesome. Like the things you see on TV are not the reality of what this city is all about. Yeah, that, that, that stuff really has gone on and existed, but, um, but it's, it's just the reality of, hey, we're going here to learn how someone makes disciples in a different culture than we do. 
That's what I want them to learn. And I want them to interact with people who don't believe exactly the way that their peers believe at home. Uh, and so that's what it's all about. Turning from sin, turning to God. That means there's a, there's a necessary, uh, Paul uses the language of changing of robes, if you will, that I have put off the old self and I have put on the new. It's like if you went out and worked out on a really hot day and you were super sweaty and gross, you would want to remove those clothes and put on something new. All right, that's this idea of that put off the old and put on the new. For the eyes of the Lord, verse 12, are on the righteous. That's not meant to intimidate or scare you. That's meant to encourage you. All right? That the righteous God cares about you. The, the, the single creator of all, thing, of all things. Time, space, matter. He actually wants a, and desires a relationship with you. He wants to see you. He wants to know you. That is so humbling to me, but also so encouraging and welcoming. That he is so powerful, he's so otherworldly, but he's also so knowable and so personal. God sees your righteousness, man. Behind closed doors, those sacrifices that you've made for him that nobody knows about, the eyes of God are on the righteous. It's worth it. The, 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 in life where you decided not to cut corners that your friends were, were cutting, whatever that might look like in your context, that you wanted to honor God in that relationship or in that business dealing or in your parenting or whatever it was in your athletics, where you said, you know what, I'm going to honor God in this and not cut a corner, not, not follow maybe the, the easier path, but I'm going to choose the way of God. This is the encouragement to you that he has seen that. His eyes are on you and he hears your prayers. We believe God hears our prayers, then man, we will be praying. We'll be praying. It's called integrity. I think as followers of Jesus is what we need to have. Something I'm fighting for with my own family and my own life is I want to be the same person behind this pulpit as I am in my conversation with you afterward and, and I am with the dealings with my family at home and, and I am in behind closed doors when I'm all by myself. That's what I want to be. I want to be for Jesus and for righteousness in all matters. That's, I want to have that integrity. And he sees that. 13, I love this rhetorical question. For who is there to harm you if you are zealous for doing good? No one that we offered to pray for yesterday in that park was mad at us for it. No one. Matt said it to our team uh, on Friday when we got here. I've prayed with every person, so many people of every different belief system, and they almost always are, they have gratitude for it. Why? Because they see it as a good thing. I'm trying to do good for them. All right? More often than not, doing good to others only costs you denying yourself. It's very, very rarely in my life when someone has persecuted me for doing good, and I won't tell you it's never happened. It has. And it's painful. Even sometimes God's people might criticize you for doing good. It's painful and it's hard, but it is a thing that I would rather be persecuted by man and receive God's pleasure than the other way around. Right? Doing the work of God usually isn't offensive to people. Feeding the hungry, taking care of orphans and widows, right? clothing those who need clothing, weeding a, a public garden, uh, cooking hot dogs for a PTA. Right? No, one, no one's going to persecute you for that normally. Normally doing good deeds is not offensive. 
the gospel message sometimes is offensive. In fact, always is. Because it says, hey, something's wrong with you, and, and the only remedy is through Jesus. And so our good deeds are not really what, uh, what we need to offend, or usually won't, but our message sometimes does. It's by nature a pretty exclusive message. Jesus got into a lot of hot water for the things that he did. All right, let's, let's read on. 14. But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them or be troubled. Here's Jesus' words. John chapter 15, verse 18, he says this. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. And if you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. Wow. Someone who stands up for truth is uh, likely to receive some hate mail. Right? Turn on the television, turn on your social media. Right? And social media is probably the worst place for it uh, because everything comes across as me versus you, us versus them. Uh, and when you talk to somebody across the table at a coffee shop, there's not a, there's not a whole lot of us versus them. It's just us. Right? Uh, and um, But know this, like the world hated Jesus enough to put him on the cross. And he didn't even have sin in his life. And he could create a feast for thousands of people from one sack lunch. And he could heal diseases uh, with no limitations of time or space or medicine or any of the things that we could do. And if the world hated him, then man, I don't know about you, but I can't do a lot of those things. And so the world sometimes is going to hate us. If you're of the world, the world will love you as its own. But because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world. Get that. You're not called to live in a different place. He's like, I, I, didn't, I didn't get you from a, a certain family with a certain pedigree or a certain bloodline. I chose you as, as a person from this world to be mine. And I'm not taking you away. I'm not poofing you away at your baptism. Liam got baptized. He's still here, right? Uh, some of you were baptized this year. You're still here, right? You were called out of the world, but, but in an odd way, he puts you right back into the world to be his representative. It's, a, it's this amazing, unique transformation that happens in the heart of a believer. It's like, I think I'm going to have all these changes, uh, and, I, and I, I've got, I, I take kids to youth camp in about a month. We'll go to youth camp, and they're, man, they get on the bus one way and come home a different way a lot of times. And I tell them every time, I like, look, you're going back to the same family you came from. You're different. Your family hasn't changed yet. And that's hard at first to understand. But that's the reality of what it is to be a follower of Jesus, that you, in many ways, are a, an alien in this world, right? We're a foreigner in so many ways to the culture. They look at us, what I was saying in Texas, it's like a cow staring at a new gate. They don't understand it. Right, you heard, I don't know if they use that saying here in Portland. But a lot of times the world will look at the life of a follower of Jesus and they don't understand it. But that's the point. We'll see that Peter's going to address that. Verse 20, uh, or this quote I was reading, Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. They persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. God's pleasure and our, our faithfulness and obedience is worth whatever the cost. God's love language is obedience. He loves obedience. He, he deserves obedience. So here's the thing. If you've ever suffered for doing good, you have shared uh, in, in Christ's likeness. You're, you're, you're like Jesus. 
That was most of his life. Most of his ministry was suffering for the sake of good, for the sake of the kingdom. In a world of sin, this is a reality. Uh, Suffering is a part of it. Here's some ways to look at suffering. If you want to jot this down, maybe in your phone or whatever, uh, it's something that's been helpful to me. Uh, But because we live in a world that sin has touched and tainted and changed, suffering is just a reality. It's a byproduct of the world. Cancer exists because of human sinfulness. Hurricanes exist. Mosquitoes exist. Taxes exist, right? All those things that are hard. Minimum wage exists. Getting laid off. Divorce. Uh, all the, you know, down the line. All those things exist because we live in a world that has been affected by sin. Paul in Romans 1 has written that the entire entirety of creation, not just humanity, but the entire world is groaning under the pains of sin. So part of this world, the reality where we live, is that there will be suffering. Here's a purpose for suffering. Sometimes suffering helps to draw us to a greater uh, righteousness. Think Think of the story of Job. Job suffered immensely, right? But it was for righteousness' sake. There's been times in my life, uh, in 2017, uh, Hurricane Harvey hit our area, and my house flooded three feet of water throughout my entire house. If you can imagine that, it's, 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 a, it's a gut-wrenching thing to, if you ever have to experience it. Um, every possession I owned was on the side of the street. Everything. Wedding dress, wedding pictures, baby pictures, uh, any, anything that was three foot or below, all the furniture, every, every piece of furniture we owned was on the side of the road in front of our house. And every family in my neighborhood was in the exact same boat. Now that's, it is horrible, and I hope you don't ever have to go through it in a way. But in another way, it was transforming in my faith. I got more opportunities to share Jesus with my neighbors because of that. I had more of a reliance. I had literally nothing besides my family and my faith. And that was a time of great growth for me. And I see some people nodding, and they've experienced maybe not a flood, but maybe something else in your life. You say, hey, guess what? This actually drew me closer to God. It wasn't something I wanted to go through at the time, but now that I'm on the other side of it, I can look back and see the results that God used. So sometimes suffering exists for our righteousness' sake. Here's the deal. Sometimes suffering is a result of bad decision-making. Okay? I mean, uh, sometimes people make bad decisions, and they have to deal with the consequences. That's something that generation, that's generation Z, that they don't, they're not learning a lot of, is personal responsibility. Uh, that's a generalization there. But man, the things that we, the things that we do, uh, they have consequences, good or bad, and we can't be, uh, we cannot avoid them. And then guess what? Sometimes there's just unexplained suffering in the world. I mean, our state's reeling from a school shooting that happened a couple weeks back. I don't have an answer for why that happens. I just don't. There's, there's, there's symptoms, right? We can see there's a political side to it. There's a human side to it. There's a, hey, what's the school doing? Like, there's all these things. But at the heart of it, I see this and I have no words to explain. That's just, in my heart, what increases that hope for heaven that we sang about earlier. That touch from heaven. Why, why are we hoping for that? Because this world, it sometimes has unexplained suffering and we just want to be with Jesus where everything will be right and be whole. Right? That's the longing for what's to come. So suffering is part of our life. Suffering defines us as a people of Jesus. 
We have identified with Jesus in his sufferings, and we also will be allowed to participate with him in his resurrection. That's how those works. No suffering, no death, no resurrection. All right, let's read on. 15. You might have heard this verse before quoted uh, by an apologetics ministry or something like that. It says this, But in your hearts, not having fear of those who persecute you, not worrying about that, instead, in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. Matt's probably used a word uh, in, in a sermon or a Bible study called sanctification. You ever heard this word before? Right? It's, be, it's becoming more like Jesus, the process uh, of being less like my old self and more like the Holy, uh, the, the Holy Son of God. Right? That's the idea. That's this word right here. Uh, to honor Christ as Lord, to set apart Christ as the Lord as holy. It's actually a quote from Isaiah chapter 8. It says, set apart the, 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 the Lord your God as holy, as separate, as different. That means, it, whatever it means in our hearts, to, to have him set apart in our heart, that means, if you imagine the medal, the medal stand of the Olympics, first, second, and third place, you can imagine that. That Jesus isn't on that second, he's not the silver medal or the bronze medal, but he's the gold medal. He's on top. Right? I have set apart a, a place in my life where God is first. Colossians 1, Paul says that Jesus is preeminent in all things, that he's at the top. So I have sanctified, I've been set apart, not just my life, but I, in my life, I say, you know what? There's a special place for God that is holy and different and it defines every other part of who I am. C.S. Lewis uh, is famous for coming up with this idea of uh, the, the, what's called the C.S. Lewis's trilemma. We've heard of a dilemma, a dilemma, right? I have to choose between two things. Trilemma is three. Uh, and he's famously said this, um, that Jesus is either a liar, a lunatic, or he's Lord. He's either lied so well, he's a con artist uh, above everything else, that he's convinced all these people that he's who he said he was, or he's crazy, He's just a lunatic that was a carpenter's son and something happened to him and he actually believes all the things he said or that he's truly God's son, that he's Lord of all and that his following him is valuable and worthy. And of course, we know C.S. Lewis believed the third of that and, and that's what the, the claim of Jesus' uh, Jesus's followers is that he is the Lord of lords. He is the eternal son of God. And that's the truth that the hinge of all this scripture that we teach that we read, that we say, hey, you should have a quiet time and read. Why? Because it's the hinge of the truth that Jesus is Lord. If Jesus has not done the things that he said, I would not read this Bible. If the tomb, if I could visit his tomb in Jerusalem and he was still in it, I would not read this Bible. If he's not who he says he is, then this is all, we're wasting our time. We should be out like kayaking or something right now. Right? But if he's Lord, that he's worthy of our life to be set apart, to be sanctified. And he says, be prepared to give a defense. That's the word apologia, give a defense. That's where the word apologetics comes from. Uh, Christian apologetics is being able to say, hey, here's why I believe the things I believe. Here's why I think the Bible is true. Here's why I think Jesus is the Lord of all. Right? Or, and there, and there, you can have apologetics for anything. You could be a, a Portland Trailblazers apologist and explain, hey, man, this is why they didn't do so well this year. It's okay. I don't know, uh, I don't know why. I don't follow basketball. But I'm just giving an example here. Um, 
I'm an apologist for the Dallas Cowboys every year. I have to explain why they didn't win the Super Bowl yet again um, for the last 30 years. So, um, But that's what this is. To give a defense, to give an explanation for why your faith stands up during a global pandemic. To say why you have hope in the midst of a family tragedy. To say why you um, want to keep carrying the torch of Jesus in Portland, Oregon. When the rest of the United States has a certain concept of who you are or maybe uh, what this place is like and you want to keep fighting for the cause of Jesus here, you would say, here's why I'm doing that. Why a man from North Carolina and a woman from Argentina would move their family and live here. Right? I say, here's why. Jesus changed my life so much, I want to obey him. Right? That's, that's the truth of this. Why would you bring teenagers from Texas to here? Why? Because... Man, Jesus is Lord, and I believe in his kingdom, and I believe in his church. I love the end of this, though. We'll finish up here. Be prepared to give a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is in you. Christianity is not afraid of history. Christianity is not afraid of philosophy. Christianity is not afraid of science. It's, it's a, it is friendly with all of those practices. Our world wants to tell us it isn't. The reality is it is. All right? And we want to give a defense, but we don't want to be uh, offensive. We can be defensive. Hey, here's why Jesus is, is who I follow. But we don't have to be offensive. What does it say at the end of this? Yet do it with gentleness and respect. Sharing the truth with love is the way Paul said it. Do so with gentleness and respect to share the truth in love. Like I said earlier, the gospel message is somewhat offensive enough that our personality doesn't need to be. <laughs> okay? We don't need to be arrogant. We don't need to be condescending. We need to be loving. Being loving buys us an opportunity to share the truth. That's the way I see it. If I'm loving to someone, they'll, they'll at least listen to my words. God has to do the rest. <laughs> All right? Let's finish up these two verses and I'll turn it back over. Having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. May we live a life that when people try to throw stones at us, that there's no, there's no windows to break. And when people look to pick apart our, our life, that there's, there's no loose edges there. For it's better to suffer for doing good better to suffer for doing good if that should be God's will than for doing evil. Let me tell you, as people of Jesus, doing good is what we're called to be, we're called to do. God is good. Jesus has done good. He is great. And he's called us to do the same thing. So no matter the cost, no matter, it might cost you a friend to be a follower of Jesus. It might cost you a family member. I hope not. I pray not. The reality is that it's better to be in God's will uh, than to have the pleasure of men. All right? Thank you, guys. I love you so much. Thanks for letting me preach. Let me pray for us. God, we love you so much. And just uh, honored to be a part of your kingdom, Lord, to be able to stand before you, uh, to be able to, to, to speak, Lord. I pray uh, for our friends and family at Sojourn, God, that, um, that you will continue to give them faithfulness, uh, to you and to your word and to your church, God. It will continue to make disciples. Uh, 
continue to, uh, to, to push back uh, the darkness, Lord, one, one believer at a time. God, I just pray that uh, for many more years of this faith family, for growth and for more baptisms and uh, more disciples, Lord. And I just uh, uh, thank you for who you are, for your love and for your graciousness, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for listening. We'd love to hear how God is working in your life. You can connect with us and find more available teachings and resources at our website, sojournpdx.org.